host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This is season six, a conversation on some of my favorite movies that I haven't had an opportunity to talk about just yet on the pod. Because I have so many favorite movies, I decided to make each episode a double feature so that I could fit in as many as possible into the seven episodes this season. This could have very easily been filled with only 80s movies, but I decided the 80s, they're just going to need their own season. It's going to need just some time to breathe all in itself. Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Moonstruck, all the problematic John Hughes goodness, monster ballads, hair bows made out of shoelaces. Yep. Yep, the 80s, they deserve a separate season. So that will be coming, I don't know when, but it's on the list. I've got a lot, I've got a list, guys. I've got a long list. We've just got seasons that'll get us through to the very least the end of the year. Hopefully you've been around for the last couple of episodes to see the hoops I've jumped through to make these double features work. Themed double features. Themes that I make up just to make it work. And today is no different. Today feels probably like the most loose just doesn't make a lot of sense theme, and that is friend groups are complicated. This is news to no one. If you have enjoyed being a part of a friend group, you know that it can be amazing and frustrating all at the same time. Because as we've said before, and will most definitely say again, we humans contain multitudes and quite often have to hold two things in our hands at one time. So what exactly is involved in this particular theme? You guessed it, friends, be it a couple of people that have a long history of shared memories or a group of people who are bound together in a complicated web held together by loyalty, probably a little bit of blackmail somewhere in their history and almost always a lot of love. That's it really. That's all you need. Yes, there is most definitely some sort of obstacle that will get in the way, but this obstacle is really irrelevant because in the end, humans are going to human. That's why often the obstacle is poor communication or pride or ambition or low self-esteem. Toss humanity into the friend group, let it brew unchecked for a bit, and you have the perfect environment for chaos. Friendship is complicated because we bring ourselves into the equation, which, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad thing. Quirky, interesting, diverse personalities are beautiful within a group of people that genuinely like and appreciate one another. But Everyone is bringing that to the table, so heads are inevitably going to butt eventually. What do I like about the theme? It's that humanity part, definitely the humanity. Being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes without actually having to walk around in them can be very helpful in navigating the world. Isn't that storytelling at its best? Getting a glimpse of the human experience, learning something without the potential for fallout or misunderstanding? But if I'm being honest, what I really like is the setting. The, the group friend going through the complication is usually somewhere pretty cool. An impromptu vacation, a consequence-filled trip to Vegas, a summer camp on the banks of a lake, a wedding, a record store. When you can't travel, it's kind of wonderful to travel through fiction and even better when that story is being told through the lens and support of a friend group. What frustrates me about the theme? Uh, the... Sometimes they play up to the stereotypes of people a little too much. They're, they don't flush out the character development. People are kind of very one-sided and play a part instead of being human. Um, so that really comes down to the writer and the storyteller, how they decide to portray the movie. You can actually give very little to, about the characters, but you put them in the right circumstances and you let the actors do what they are 
asked to do, hired to do, and the ones that can do it well, it doesn't really matter if there's not a lot of backstory or dialogue for them. They can get a point across, which leads to my first movie and another one in my top 10 favorites. Where the Boys Are, a 1960s beach movie of sorts where a group of college girls head to Fort Lauderdale for spring break because that's where the boys are. <laughs> the movie starred George Hamilton, Connie Francis, Dolores Hart, Jim Hutton, Paula Prentice, Frank Gorshin, and Yvette Mimo. I don't know how to say her last name. Mimiu? I don't know. Apparently, she's got a French name. Is that French? Oh, see, I... I should have done a little bit of research there. Anyway, <laughs> so our friend group, Merritt, Melanie, Tuggle, and Angie, are up in the frozen north counting down the days until spring break. It's doubtful whether Merritt is going to be able to go since she's fallen behind in her classes because of all of the dating she's been doing. Scandalous. But the others encourage her to get away, that it will be good for her to get some sun, and so they head south toward Florida. Side note that will be important later. In one of Merritt's classes called Courtship and Marriage, there is a class they have to take called Courtship and Marriage in the 1960s, which just disgusts me. She gets into a discussion with her professor on premarital sex, playing house before marriage. Merritt shocks the class when she confesses that she thinks it's a good idea for a woman um, you know, to have that experience before getting married, which totally piques the interest of Melanie, who's also in the class. Uh, like she was finally getting the green light that she had always wanted. Also of note, not sure why any of these ladies are spending money on college. They seem to only be preoccupied with finding themselves a husband. I mean, that's the degree they are going for, even though it don't doesn't appear that there's any men on this campus. Um, I feel like at one point, Merritt even makes a comment about like neighboring schools or something. So I don't, I'm, who's father is paying for this i don't know moving on along the way they pick up a harmless college student from michigan his name is tv who rented out his own car to afford the trip to fort lauderdale it becomes immediately apparent that there is a connection between tv and tuggle he's weird but tall she's not weird but tall and that is enough for a love match in a 1960s beach adjacent movie so when they get there they end up letting a couple of girls who couldn't find a hotel room stay with them, a trope that continues throughout the movie until the room is literally stuffed with ladies and one dude who sneaks in. Melanie immediately finds herself some Ivy Leaguers at the pool, and the races are off, with each of the ladies kind of coupling up, talking about sex, and performing the ritual of attempting to get a fella to propose by the end of the week, which is so weird. Can you imagine... You're a college student. You're going on vacation. Let's just throw out a place. Let's like Panama City. You're going to Panama City for spring break, but you go with the intention of meeting a man and getting engaged by the end of the week. Ah, just doesn't make any sense. So this this friend group, Mara is sophisticated, intelligent, and very self-assured. She's very confident. She's sort of the leader in the way that people turn to her for help or advice, especially Melanie, who has decided Merritt is the end-all, be-all when it comes to relationships. Mostly, again, because Merritt is saying the things Melody wants to hear. More on Melanie in a second. So Merritt meets Ryder, a senior at Brown University who is super rich, super charming, and is actually an all-around good guy. He, when she says no, he stops. Um, he treats her well. He feeds her well. <laughs> 
that's another thing in this movie. So they get down there and they don't seem to have any money. So immediately when they get to the hotel room, they are counting how much cash they have and rationing out and realize the first day that they are going to need to, if they get invited out on a date to a fancy restaurant, they have to order a big meal so that they can bring some of it back to feed the others. I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine the lack of planning. (laughs) I would not enjoy myself at all. Okay, so then we have Melanie. She is naive, gullible, innocent, and beautiful. She's easy prey for the Ivy Leaguers who are just looking for a good time, and she turns on her friends when they try to intervene out of concern. Um, she kind of sees nothing wrong. She She's doing what she wants to do. She wants to get married. She wants to find a man, and that is that is her focus, her goal, and so she kind of turns on her friends a bit when they try to intervene. Then there's Tuggle. She is my favorite. She's very Midwestern. She's sensible and calm and friendly. She's completely awkward walking into a bar with a fake ID, uh, falls for the nerdy guy, and really sticks to her guns when it comes to comes to, to sex, how far she'll go. Uh, so she has some actually decent conversations with TV, who kind of pushes but, again, stops when she says no. And then there's Angie. Got to love Angie. Not entirely sure Angie is an OG member of this little group. She comes off a little bit as an outsider, but she's the rough and tumble girl with a heart of gold. She's on the hockey team. She has a voice of an angel, played by Connie Francis. We do get a song that she sings, of course, and she does sing the theme song for the movie. Um, And she's bummed that she can't seem to couple up with an eligible dude. She does, eventually. It's a very nearsighted, dialectic jazz musician who uh, kind of accepts her, has her last choice, which I don't love. So she does find someone. Um, But you can see she's bummed when she sees all of her friends kind of, you know, finding guys, handsome guys, nice-looking guys. How are they complicated? We're going to call it unintended peer pressure. They force Merit into this trip, one, because they enjoy her company, but two, I think they also need her to come along so they could afford the trip. Uh, As I said, it just don't know what's happening there. They're all so young. They didn't go to the beach to spend time together. They went to the beach to find husbands, which is all fun and games until naivety, brash, and bold declarations and confusion kind of factor into the mix. And in the end, a friend slipped through the cracks and ends up getting hurt. Melanie ends up getting passed around between Ivy Leaguers, convinced that the current one she's with is the one that she's convinced that she will be engaged to by the end of the week. And then... They don't accept no for an answer. Um, Somebody that she had gone out on a date with at the beginning of the week comes and says, hey, um, you know, I'm here now. And and when she tries to get away, she's assaulted. The movie, though, also shows the beauty of a good friend group, individuals who will immediately jump to your rescue, who will sit next to you and hold your hand. And when you're when you're in pain and scared, who will do what it takes to get you home safe and sound without question or complaint. So why is this one on the list? Because it does sound a bit like a bummer at the end. I don't really know. I have watched it so many times, and I've watched so many movies from the 60s, many that are much better than this one, but it has been on my favorites list since the first viewing. It might be Tuggle and TV. I just, 
I love Jim Hutton and Paula Prentice together. Another one of the movies that they're in, um, The Honeymoon Machine with Steve McQueen, one of my favorites. It might be that complicated friend group that sometimes we listen to our friends who play pay lip service to bold ideas and we buy in only to find out that they're talking out of their butt. It might be the fun of Fort Lauderdale at spring break. Uh, in the movie, when Ryder approaches Mira on the beach, he doesn't say anything to her. He just sits down next to her and writes a question mark in the sand. And she says her name and he does it again. And she says what school she's from. He does it again. She tells, you know, what grade she's in, what class she's in. And so when we went to visit Fort Lauderdale one year, we were visiting my brother in West Palm Beach, but we ended up in Fort Lauderdale on a day drive. And I got onto that Fort Lauderdale beach and I started just drawing question marks in the sand everywhere. It's, it's probably all of those things to put together, but I just, I love it. Some interesting tidbits about the movie. Dolores Hart, who plays Mara Andrews, left Hollywood a few years after the movie was released and became a Benedictine nun. She has been a mother superior for many years. Just that's fascinating to me. This was the film debut of both Paula Prentice and Connie Francis. The title song, sung by Connie Francis, Where the Boys Are, I won't sing it for you, even though I really want to, reached number four on the pop charts. And finally, one of Five, this is one of five movies in the early 1960s that featured both Jim Hutton and Paula Prentice. The five movies were Where the Boys Are, came out in 1960, Bachelor in Paradise, that came out in 61, The Honeymoon Machine, that also came out in 61, and The Horizontal Lieutenant, which came out in 62. Oh, and Looking for Love, which came out in 64. So they were a romantic couple in all of those except for the last one. And of course, Jim Hutton is the father of Timothy Hutton, another well-known actor. I just threw that one in just for you. So that is where the boys are. If you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend it. If you like the older kind of Hollywood movies, it's not black and white, it's color at least. Uh, I, I just, especially in the summer, anything said at the beach during the summer. I mean, again, I am a big fan of the Frankie and Annette beach party movies. <laughs> I almost did a whole season just on that this year, but I didn't or Gidget. I just, I love them all. So you should check that one out and off to movie number two, which is far more on the complicated side of things. We have a group of friends who are also coworkers at a failing record store in 1995's Empire Records. This was a box office flop that went on to become a cult classic, which I love it when movies do that so much. Uh, when, you know, once you get them home and you watch them over and over and over again, like The Princess Bride even, that you fall in love with them and they become just kind of part of your pop culture lexicon. And almost the entire movie happens in one day which is one of my favorite movie tropes. It shows the chaos of life that you wake up and you think your day is going one way and by the end it has gone some other really random way. And I just, I love that. That there are big days with rather mundane activities sometimes that will just stick with you forever. In this one, we have Lucas. He's a young man who thinks himself a kind of a philosophical risk taker. And he's been given the responsibility of closing the store for the first time. Joe, the manager, has left him with the store. He's feeling real good about himself. And so while he's counting the day's receipts, he discovers a secret that Joe has been keeping from everybody, that Empire Records is about to be sold and converted into a cookie cutter branch national chain called Music Town. So Lucas 
he's a dreamer, and he gets it into his head that he can save the store. So he takes the day's cash receipts, about $9,000 or so, to Atlantic City to attempt to quadruple the take at the roulette tables. His first roll doubles the amount. He's got $18,000 in his pocket, but he just keeps going because he's cocky and he loses it all. So the next day, it's all about saving the store. Joe's pretty ticked that the deposit wasn't made. He was actually going to use that money to buy a share in the store to try to keep Empire Records, Empire Records. Uh, and it's also about a crowd of coming-of-age youngins who fall in love and they fight and they make unbelievably poor life choices. <laughs> so we have AJ. He's an artist who has... He really only stays at the store because he's in love with Corey. Liv Tyler. Corey is a high schooler who, I think she's a high schooler. She feels the pressure of high performance and um, she takes uppers to try to get through her day and she discovers she's been accepted into Harvard. Car Corey is also, she believes herself to be in love with Rex Manning, an aging pop star who's coming to the store for a signing event because it's Rex Manning day. Uh, then there's Deb, a suicidal young woman with an edge whose cranky demeanor is hiding kind of teddy bear innards inside. There's Gina, played by Renee Zelliger, a sexually driven flirt who is jealous of Corey's family life and future prospects. Um, and then we have Mark, the idiot of the group, who played by Ethan Embry, who is usually just high and absolutely ridiculous. And of course, Joe, the manager, who's attempting to rein in the shenanigans of this of his young workers, but he also kind of is a stand-in father figure, and he does that really, really well. So most of the movie is about their interactions, the way they interact and argue and grow as people, the way they love and hate each other, the way they hurt and care for each other, and in the end, about the way they come together to save the store. So um, Corey throws her, examples, Corey throws herself at Rex Manning, he denies her, then Gina, the sexually driven flirt played by Renee Selwiger, she ends up having um, relations with Mr. Manning causes a clash between Corey and Gina. They start screaming at each other, talking about jealousy and anger and hurt. And um, Corey comments on the fact that, you know, Gina is upset that Gina should be upset because she's just going to be stuck where she is if she keeps acting this way. That's when Deb, the suicidal young woman, steps in, kind of separates them. Um, she calms Corey down, even though she claims not to like Corey. Uh, they actually do a, a fake funeral for Deb, trying to show her how much they love her and um, what they would miss about her if she were to go with ahead with suicide, which is... Um, just it's a hard part of the movie, but it's also a beautiful part of the movie seeing people step in to that you know to that role and and sharing with her how much they care about her. Uh, AJ eventually finally confesses his love for Corey. They end up together at the end. Mark is the one that kind of has this grand idea. Okay, we need to. This can't be Music Town. Um, they're gonna make us follow all of these really strict rules. It's not going to be the work environment we want. It's going to change the family that we have. So he kind of rallies the troops. He calls everyone. They plan an event. And so they have this big event at the store that is the store is just stuffed full of people. They have music on the roof above them. They are selling beer. They get some kegs and are selling beer. They're taking donations. Deb is selling buttons. Um, and in the end, the music town guy, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the store. <laughs> and he ends up, you know, selling it to 
Joe for a good deal. And Lucas is off the hook. Then you have this really fun kind of storyline where there is a young guy named, well, he calls himself Warren. We don't actually learn his name um, in the movie, but he's a shoplifter. They grab him and he's hanging out with them while they're waiting for the cops to show up. Uh, and they get to know him. And then he actually comes back with a gun and he's trying to hold the, hold the place up. Uh, but they calm him down and they're so good with him. And I think throughout the whole movie, you see that, that some really horrible things happen. Lucas losing the money, Warren causing a stick up in the middle of the store. Um, what happens with Deb and her conversations about suicide, they all step in and they never get overly agitated. They're all very calm about it. They're all so compassionate and caring. And I think it really just shows the best in a friend group. Um, so in the end, Empire Records is saved. Coy's going to go off to school. AJ's going to follow her um, to Boston. You have, you know, Gina, she wants to join a band. She's going to be in a band. Deb's doing better. Joe's got a girlfriend. Uh, so a lot happens in just one day. Gotta love that. I love it. So why is this one on the list? Because growing up is hard. Finding your way, figuring out your future, discovering who you are, it can be tricky. And sometimes it helps to watch others struggling with things that you struggle with. Off topic, I the, the TV show New Girl came out right as I was in my mid thirties. And it was so refreshing and so comforting for me to see a group of 30 somethings that didn't have it all together because, you know, I live a very good life. I have a very good job. Um, I own my own home. I am doing really, really good. So there's no complaints, but my life doesn't necessarily look like what society tells me it should look like. It tells me I should be married and have 2.5 kids by this point. So, and you also have in the back of my head, at least, I think it's, it's probably a pretty common thing that you kind of start to ask yourself, well, when am I going to actually feel like an adult? So the new girl came along and it was so refreshing to see 30 somethings that didn't seem to have it all together, didn't have all the answers, didn't feel like adults. And I think that's just really important um, storytelling that you that you need. I like imperfect characters. And there is a store full of them here, full of different personalities, of friends who get things very wrong until they get something right, and an adult who doesn't act like he has all of the answers. Because you really trust someone. Can you really trust someone who thinks they know it all? No, you can't. It also has a killer soundtrack. It's set in a record store, which I love. Uh, and it's set all in one day, a day that just happens to be Rex Manning Day. <laughs> so some interesting tidbits about the movie. The movie was written by a former employee of Tower Records, store number 166 at the Christtown Mall in Phoenix, Arizona. Some of her former co-workers still working there cited anecdotes and other elements of this movie that related to the store for a long time after the movie's release. That store, though, closed sadly in early 2005. The movie was originally filmed as two days, but it was cut and fit into one day. AJ checks his pocket watch to see how much time he has left to tell Corey Mason he loves her, and it's 1.37 p.m. The, that's the deadline he gave himself. The current time is shown as 1.30, so he's got seven minutes. Corey unwittingly joins him on the roof exactly seven minutes of runtime later. I like it when movies do that, when they pay attention to time. Um, so she shows up on the roof, they have a moment, and they end up together. 
A sign by the register that says, Have a Nice Days, shows the logo for the movie Dazed and Confused, which came out in 1993. And that one also starred Rory Cochran in the film. He plays Lucas in this one. Um, James Willis was also in the movie. When Lucas uncovers the plans for Music Town, he says, In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. A line from their song, Light My Fire. And finally, the film was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, and a Hollywood studio. A warehouse district was used to create an exact replica of the Hollywood studio. So that is our conversation about how two movies that have complicated friend groups. (laughs) That's it. So that's our conversation for today. Um, There was frustrating dynamics, and there were loyal humans. But I hope you'll tune in for our next conversation. They didn't expect to end up in space. I'm so excited about that one. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast so that other individuals who also like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, well, they can join the fun as well. Or if you want to share the pop podcast that would be awesome too you can follow me on instagram and twitter at at gnome girl m and on facebook as a bit of fun with emily go have yourself a bit of fun today and i will see you next time